Or this morning we're continuing on in engaging the all-in series out of Philippians. And we're taking a little bit of a break because at the end of this month, actually the beginning of November, we're having a baptism service. Not only that, there are certain elements that we have interposed to our worship service on a weekly basis, such as the Lord's Table, that on occasion it's good for me to teach on these areas. Not only that, we have some things that are changing within our doctrinal statement, and I've I've waited a long time to make a pivotal point to share this information with you. And so it's interesting. I mentioned baptism. You're still looking in your bulletins. I mentioned Lord's Table. You're, you're scratching an area on your body. I mentioned a change in the doctrinal statement. You all snapped too. Good job, everybody. This morning, we are all in on this idea of engaging. Engaging is one of our values that we hold to here at Concord Bible Church. The Lord set that pattern for us, did He not? Otherwise, He should have just taken us all at the moment of the ascension. He should have just taken us when He went to heaven. But He said there's more work to be done. There's kingdom work to be done. And yet He what? He left. And so that work is for whom? That work is for His disciples, for His people, for those that follow Him and are all in. And so we learned in our last time in Philippians how Christ demonstrated the idea of what it means to be what? All in. And Paul says, if you have problems understanding these components of unity and staying forthright in this, what I want you to do is have this attitude. And now he starts to explain and and share and remind who Jesus Christ is. Philippians 2. Right? Where it says that He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but took the form of a servant, humbling Himself. And, and even to the point of death on a cross, and yet God exalted Him above every other name. And at the name of Jesus Christ, every tongue will confess, and every knee shall what? Shall bow. Paul is making a demonstrative statement about how Christ was all in. He withheld nothing in order that you and I might share eternal life. Amen? So now the challenge is, how do we respond? And Paul is sharing with the body, saying, you need to engage. There are certain and particular things that you can do or not do so that you can be all in as well. What an exciting thing. I know some of us get into a point in time in our lives where we say, I'll just kind of sit back and, and watch the other guys do it. You know, I've, I've paid my dues. I've done my service. It's just a blessing to see this body at work. It's an incredible pleasure to watch those that have been faithfully serving for decades, not hang it up, not go into what we call spiritual retirement. How great was it today for me to uh, know David Yarlagata is teaching a, a great ABF on the Scriptures, and we need to be in there hearing that truth and understanding the value and how Scripture affects us, how Scripture informs us, the reliability of the Scriptures. And yet the first person I saw walking in there was over the age of 60. Got up early this morning and said, this is important. I'm not retiring spiritually. And yet there was somebody who's in their 
their late 30s, early 40s, who has taken the responsibility to step up and not rely on those who are older, but step up and say, I'm going to engage. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to do all the study so that I can bless and equip our body. I'm so excited about how this body responds and engaging and being all in. So we talked last week about engaging through the illustration, the importance and significance of what? You remember? Baptism, yes. A ring. And, and ladies, when you receive this ring from that wonderful guy, it's called a what? Engagement ring. And so we use that illustration to talk about a pivotal time and the statement of what it means to wear a ring. And spiritually, what does baptism mean? It is the, it is the public proclamation of our relationship, devotion, and dedication to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? What is a ring intended to do? It is a public proclamation of our focused attention, love, and devotion to the person we are going to be married to or are married to. So this morning, we're continuing on, and we're going to shift a little bit. We're going to move out of the beauty and excitement of the proposal, and what it, and then we're going to talk about what it means to stay engaged. Right? What is the, what is the statement when you get a job? And you've been there a few months. You say the what? The honeymoon is over. Have you ever heard somebody say, "Ah, the honeymoon is still vibrant and fresh and alive"? Eight years into their work, and yet, would we not say we would want that kind of intimacy? We would want that kind of devotion in our marriages for the life of the marriage? Amen or no amen? Some of you are radically silent. This morning we're going to talk about two areas that help us stay focused in being engaged. It's not necessarily a proclamation in and of itself, in one way it is, but these two ordinances or the one ordinance and the one proclamation have much more specificity to the idea of how we stay engaged spiritually. Think about this. We can often clutter our spiritual lives with distractions. And because of that, we what? We lose the ability to truly value what it means to be all in. We can slowly let those intentional practices Uh, which guide us in our spiritual journey, become clouded with tradition or superfluous issues. Maybe this morning we need to peel off some of that unnecessary or maybe the unhealthy engagements we have added on into our spiritual life. So this morning, it's no great secret, we're going to be talking about the Lord's table and the Lord's return and how we can be all in. So again, in our Philippians series, in our All In series, we, we are focusing on Philippians 2.2. 2. Let's say this together. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Amen. 
How can we show that we are all in? Let's be engaged. Let's be engaged. We talked last week about baptism. Today we're going to talk about Lord's table and preparing for the return of the king. So here's the EFCA. EFCA is our denomination, and this is part of the doctrinal statement on the ordinances. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly what? Express the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and what? Nourish the believer. Many of us are walking around spiritually anemic because we're not engaged. We're not all in. And so this morning, look at this a little bit like you're going to the doctors and, and you're not feeling well. And, and you get to bypass that lobby at Kaiser where everybody's hacking and coughing and, and you're thinking, I'm getting sick just sitting here. You just get a direct run right into the doctor's office and we're going to do a diagnosis. And then you let the perfect medication take place. Check and see how engaged you are this morning. So let's examine what it means to discuss this idea of the Lord's table. So some of the questions I get on this subject is what? When should we participate in the Lord's table or communion? We made a shift last year, or this year, back in January. We started doing the Lord's Table every Sunday. And so I'm going to give you, now last week I said I was going to give you 30 seconds, and we took 30 minutes on questions. I was thinking about letting you text questions into me, and I could just regulate that, but I think that's going to take too long too. So uh, I will take two questions, and that's it. Two questions on the Lord's Table. And then hopefully I cover the remainder in the message this morning. So, any obvious questions that you might have this morning concerning the Lord's table? Good. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's just move forward. Yes, David. Uh, does it have to be done only in a church setting? Can it be done in a prayer meeting? Great question. Does it have to be just done in a church setting? Or could it be done in a... In a Bible study, can it be done in a park? Um, how many people have to be present? So Hezekiah 42.7 says, Thou shalt always observe within the walls and confines. What, what, Linda? What, Hezekiah is in the Bible? Uh, you get my point, don't you? So, no, there is no... Now, that what I just did is very, very important. There is no biblical mandate saying where or when or how often. And what I mean by this is there isn't an explicit imperative voicing. And the church shall gather three times a week at the six o'clock hour and observe through the passing of the elements by the deacons to those who are... Duly qualified. Now, I, you hear my sarcasm a little bit there, right? And yet, the church has done some of that. How on earth did we get there? So, hear me clearly. What was your question again? Does it have to be done in church? And the answer is, does it have to be done by the church? Yes. 
I mean what God means by the church. So here's an educational moment, brothers and sisters. If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you are an adopted son or daughter of God because of your faith, through His grace, you have declared Lord Jesus as your Savior. You are the what? You are the church. So there's a difference between church and church, right? You got it? So are we clear? So when we say it has to be done within the church, the answer is yes, and the answer is no. Okay? Clear? Any other questions on that? Yes? Well, it says that the early church gathered on the first day of the week, so that's why we shifted from Sabbath on Saturday to Sundays. The tradition of the early church was to gather because historically we believe that shift happened because of the resurrection. Uh, But it also, we understand through Scripture and as well through history, that the church was continually gathering. And they were continually breaking bread. We do something called an agape feast here, right? So the church was often practicing what was called the agape feast, which was the love feast. That was different than communion. So we don't have anything in Scripture. I think this was a group that I talked about. The Scriptures are silent on something last week. Now, if the Scripture is silent on something, we can take context and find the best approach, but we need to be careful about making it God's standard. This is where the church has messed up, all right? Is that where the, where, where the scriptures are silent and allow for some variation maybe, right? Because it doesn't speak about you have to take communion on only Sunday, the day that you gather. I, I have not found, again, it may be in Hezekiah 42. I have not found the scripture that says it has to be observed on a particular day. It also, Scripture is silent on the issue of how often you should be taking. Now, there is an implication that the church met multiple times throughout the week, and there is implication in the Apostolic Father's writings that the church observed the Lord's table weekly. That's not scriptural, that's historical. Understand? So we don't go and we say, hey, you know, our church is doing things the scriptural way because we do it every week. And that church over there is not doing scriptural. Stop. You're clouding. You're clouding the all-in engagement by the church. We have the choice as this church leadership to say how spiritually we want to walk. Okay? So let's get into some specifics. Did that answer your question? Okay. When should we participate in the Lord's table? The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances. I've already read this. Uh, it's specific about what the purpose is, but that doesn't really answer when. So we, we talked about when. That, that it, it can be in your own home. If you are uh, ill and you haven't been able to make it to church for a while, you can call myself, call the elders, and we can come do communion with you. But let me, let me kind of break that thinking because that's a tradition in the church. I'm saying you are welcome to do that. It would be our pleasure. But you do not need the elders. You do not need the pastor to practice communion. Do you understand that? 
There's nothing biblical that says that is required. That is a church tradition. So I would much rather have you practice communion, and it seems that it was not practiced individually. Again, the church is silent on it. There's no demonstrative statement that says, Thou shalt not practice communion or observe the Lord's table privately. But the scripture we do see, it was always done in a corporate setting. So do you see the, the challenge there? Is that we see the demonstration, but there is no prohibition. Okay? So here is some key scripture on it. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 26. And I will read this um, when we come to communion today. And Paul is talking to the Corinthian church who had lost their way a little bit with this. And they had added things in. And they had lost track of what all this meant and the significance of it. And the Lord was not pleased. And so what does Paul say? He says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in what? Remembrance. There's the first key issue as to why we do communion. We do this to remember. Now, let me ask you, how many of you had a birthday or an anniversary this year and somebody in your family forgot? Don't raise your hand. If you want peace in your family, do not raise your hand. Now, some of you, it's kind of fun standing up here and asking questions like that because I can see some squirming, so I know exactly, uh, you know, what happened over this past year. But think about it. Why do we even do that? Why do we do anniversaries? Come on, let's just cut ourselves some slack, get rid of all the pressure, let, let's, let's save ourselves some money, and let's just let it go. It was what it was. Why would we spend every year, one day out of the year, except for you poor people that were married on February 29th. I don't know what you do with yourselves. But what do you do? Why do you do that? Why do you sell? And some of you are like, well, we don't really make a big deal out of it, so what's the big deal? I'm, I'm with you, Pastor. Why is it Hallmark is making billions off of birthdays and anniversaries? Because I would postulate that there is an insatiable need for us to remember. We want to be what? Now, if we want to be remembered, how much more so is it important that God is remembered? That Jesus is remembered? So during communion, you will hear me say almost every single time I present communion, you will hear me say two words. We remember and we proclaim. These are the reasons. What is the Lord's table of communion? It is a process or a ceremony whereby we actively and engaged all in remember the greatest gift ever given to us. So that's the first thing. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. So this is a covenant as well. And just like the marriage covenant, it, it is a promise. Covenant means a promise. It means a commitment. In order to have that promise and that commitment, you have to be what? You have to be engaged. You have to be all in. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, again, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you what? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here we find what the Lord's table is. 
The problem is, we've done a lot of things extra to it. Right? We've dressed it up. We've put our little traditions onto it. How many of you even realize this is the Lord's table? Let me help you out. Here's my, here's my monument to the Lord's table. Okay? I, I thought that this was kind of, you know, it's marble. It's very sacred. means a lot. It's like a trophy. And, and I've kind of put some meaning. I'm making all this up, by the way. I haven't done any of this. Uh, but I put some meaning to this and the Lord's table. Let's just pull that out. Um, this guy right here, Aquaman, look, if he had been there, he reminds me of Peter, right? And so I like, I like Aquaman to be there um, at the Lord's table. I think Jesus would have invited him. He, he just speaks to so many different things that, that fit with the... All right. The old purple pineapple. You know... The purple pineapple is a mechanism for me to not cry during romantic movies. And I'll explain that later on. But the idea is that, that for me, maybe it's too emotional. And, and I need to keep my cognitive abilities about me. I need to rationalize. I need to be focused rather than be so emotional about the Lord's table. And so I'm going to put the purple pineapple there around my, my Lord's table. Is this ridiculous yet? This just goes without saying. Okay, I, I don't even need to explain why this would. This is me observing the Lord's table, right? And so it's a reminder to me. I, I need to. I'm going to put a statue of myself and God's team, the angels, right? And I'm going to put it next to my Lord's table because it's a reminder for me to. No. Right. How about I really want to be anointed with oil, and this is olive wood straight from the Holy Land, and so I keep sacred oil in here that, that I had a guy named Joseph bless at one point in time, uh, who was a shepherd, and makes a mean falafel, okay? And, and so before I take communion, I'm going to anoint myself with this. At, no, right? Just, that's silly. Now... Something that does mean something to me is this little cup, this little olive wood cup that I did receive in the Holy Land, and I did observe the Lord's table with this cup at the garden tomb. And so, to me, out of all those things, maybe this, this does, but it doesn't belong at the Lord's table. Oh, one last thing. A little doll that my daughter gave me of Thanos Jr. He represents Judas. And why was Judas even at the Lord's table when, when God knew what Judas was going to do? And yet, and so there's some deep theological doctrines there. And, and I got to really wrap my mind around all. Nope, don't need any of that either. Now, I see the Lord's table for exactly what it is. And yet, this is ridiculous, isn't it? This is just an artist's depiction. Actually, it's not even that. This is a woodcarver's depiction from Africa of an Italian dude that lived a long time ago that painted a painting that everybody got excited about. This is not the Lord's table. But these are our traditions. The reason I went to all that length is to help us understand we burden ourselves a lot of times with a bunch of superfluous things that have been rooted in tradition. And those keep us from what? 
what are the two reasons that God gave us to observe the Lord's table? To remember what was done for the believer. So the Lord's table is for who? The believer and the believer only. It's to remember what he has done and then to do what? To proclaim. That's why we observe communion, brothers and sisters. And it has incredible ties that I can't go into right now to the Passover meal and the institution of the Passover meal. Remember, Jesus said this is a new covenant. And so he institutes this consecrated action for us to engage in whereby we can tread into deeper spiritual waters with our Lord and Savior. Let me wrap this up. Who participates in the Lord's table? But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I don't have time to go into the whole passage of Scripture, but you should recognize this for those who have some history. Paul is talking about eating in an unworthy manner. And so the church has taken this idea, this teaching by Paul, which is very explicit, and we've started to dress up the Lord's table again about who can participate and who cannot participate. Eating in an unworthy manner can have two focuses. One is the idea that I do not know Jesus Christ. I do not claim Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Therefore, there is no marriage between us and there is no reason for me to sit at that table. Those elements and what they represent mean nothing to me. So my encouragement to you, brothers and sisters, one of the reasons we have decided to walk forward is because Sometimes when the plate is passed, that can draw attention to an individual who feels the pressure to take the elements in an unworthy manner. As opposed to when we guide and direct you in a focused time of spiritual worship and engagement to get up and pursue and spend time in prayerful consideration. And and sometimes we have music that's going on behind it is much easier for the individual who has yet to claim Jesus in faith to sit unnoticed and not have the pressure and scrutiny to take and eat in an unworthy manner. Does that make sense? Is that biblical? No. It's just wise. We have to make choices in how we give you the opportunity to engage. Now, that does not mean that if, you, if there's a church that passes the plates, that that is the wrong thing to do. We just, as a leadership team, have arrived at this idea that we want you, it's one of our core values, we want you to engage. We want you to get out of your seat, and part of your worship is engaging through that process. Any questions? Okay, so the other second way that you might eat or drink in an unworthy manner is confusing. One is what? That you don't know the Lord. That's not confusing. Secondly, you do claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so some of the times the church tradition is that if you have not come to church enough or if you have committed a sin or have been caught in a sin and it's public and people know and you haven't gone through a public confession, you can often be denied what? Participation in the Lord's table. 
they would say the logic is you are eating or drinking in an unworthy manner. This is a bit ambiguous, and so this is why we encourage you to spend time in confession. I would say to you that in your prayer life, as you examine your heart, as you come every week, if there is a sense that you feel completely disjointed in your spiritual walk with Christ, it is more important. Like Paul says, I would rather hear a thousand words of prophecy than one word of tongues. I truly believe that the Lord would rather have you spend time in prayer getting into right relationship with Him than walking up and just participating in a routine pattern that means nothing. Okay, are, are, are we clear on that? Now, let me say something that will be controversial. I do not believe that the Lord's table, I believe that that teaching, that you should be denied the Lord's table, is a spurious teaching and tradition by the church. And I believe, it's not biblical, you hear me saying, I believe. I believe that tradition was exacted by the church to hold power over men. So here at Concord Bible Church, we have what's called open communion. Have you heard that term before? So open communion is that we do not require you to be a member at this church. Although membership here at this church is fantastic. You really should do it. We do not require membership at this church. We place that onus of responsibility on each individual because Jesus, what? He set that pattern. I cannot accept Jesus Christ for you. I cannot do any action of redeeming quality for you and vice versa. We are called what history would say within the church, ecclesial history. We are freestanding moral agents. That's a, that sounds like I'm part of the FBI or something. All that means is that I am responsible and accountable for what? For my spiritual engagement and journey. So, we do see evidence of that in Scripture. Our practice here is open communion, not closed. And that means, brothers and sisters, it's on you. It's on you as to whether or not you feel unworthy. Now, I'm going to say probably the most important thing right now. Hopefully you're clear as to what communion is and what it isn't. And obviously, we could teach on this for a month, so I'm not covering everything. Do not let the technique of the enemy, that roaring lion who seeks to devour you, use tradition or guilt to keep you from remembering and proclaiming. Do you understand? Now, if I put more onto what the Lord's table is, sure, I can back end who gets to do it, who doesn't get to do it. But when we have a biblical focus on what the Lord's table is, then I have to say, look, that is between the individual and Christ in their participation. And in essence, what's happening here is there is a, remember the statement from the EFTA. There is a spiritual nourishment. We do not believe, we do not hold to the doctrine 
that grace is imparted, God's grace is imparted through the elements every time you observe. What does that mean? That those elements are transmitted as the actual body and blood of Christ. Now, if that was the case, we might have to rethink all this stuff. And that's why you have some of these doctrinal or ecclesial approaches. But we do not believe that Scripture teaches that. We believe that these are symbols, just like they were in the Passover meal. And they are there according to Christ's communication and His statement to us. They are there to remind us of what was done for us. Now where sometimes the Protestant church gets a little dry on this is we take away a lot of the spiritual feeling or emotion or uh, consecration from this and we just say it's just a drinking of of a stale cracker or it's an eating of a stale cracker and drinking of some sour grape juice. It's more than that. The Lord, in a mysterious way, is very present during that time. And there is a spiritual nourishment. Right? Remember, when your birthday or your anniversary is remembered, does it make you angry? Or does it satisfy the soul? That's kind of a way to help you understand what does this nourishment mean and what does it look like. Okay? Any questions? Yes, Steve. In Matthew 5, verse 23, um, does this apply at all to communion? It says, so if you're offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before you before the altar and go and reconcile with your brother and come and offer your gift. Does that apply to communion at all? So let's talk about this great question. What he's saying is in Matthew 5, Jesus is giving instructions in part of his teachings, uh, Sermon on the Mount, I believe. And he's saying, look, there's an importance in how we approach worship. All right? And so at that time, you would bring your sacrifice, you would offer it, you would give it to the priest, and the priest would sacrifice for you. And he's saying, look, don't come and give your sacrifices and then just live the way you want to live. Now, how does that apply to the action of communion. If communion is a process of sanctified and and redeeming and intentional worship that is measured by God, do you see what I just did there? I'm not actually even talking about communion yet. I'm talking about the sacrifice that Jesus was talking about. So if it is in fact that, then yes, we need to make sure that we're, and it's, he's teaching not just about conflict between people. He's in essence saying, make sure your life is right. Don't, don't just come in a hypocritical way and, and, Act like everything else is fine, but you're going to come do this sacrifice. This means something. So, yes, there is an application here, Steve, that does apply. We don't just come to church and participate and six other days of the week, nobody would recognize us as engaged to Christ. 
Does that make sense? Now, the other issue I would say is the sacrifice is done. So the sacrifice that Jesus made, we don't have to make sacrifices anymore. So it's a little more complicated answer here than, than just the first initial blush that I gave to it. But what we said at the first blush is very important as to how we observe. The second part has everything to do with the fact that the sacrifice was already done. We are remembering that sacrifice. And we are proclaiming that sacrifice by doing this. Where I would... Where I would be more line in the sand is if this had to do with the Passover meal. Don't observe the Passover meal because, in essence, the Lord's table is the extension with new definition of the Passover meal. Where I would be more demonstrative about, no, you need to make sure that your sins, you've confessed your sins, you're, you're good with your brothers and sisters. For your participation in the Lord's table to have any worth before Christ according to his declaration. Now, y'all, I'm confused. So I'm sure you're confused. The point is this. If you want to engage and get the most and be the most honoring in what you're doing in all of your worship, shouldn't just be connected to communion, shouldn't just be connected to baptism. You know, a lot of people hold off on baptism because why? For some reason, they think that baptism is the thing, the moment. And and they say, boy, if I get baptized, then I really have to act this way, and I'm going to have to give up all these things. You know what? That's what you call short-term investment. If you want short-term investment, (laughs) this whole thing is called long-term investment, brothers and sisters. When you made the decision to follow Christ, hopefully you made a long-term investment. And the process is for Jesus to do that sanctifying work in you and for us to be obedient to him so that he makes us perfect. We don't strive necessarily by performance-based works to be perfect and satisfy him. But we come with humility and we come with a seriousness to the Lord's table or to our daily worship, just even in general. Saying, I'm not going to pretend to be this, I'm not going to offer, right? David says what? You do not desire sacrifices, but instead you desire a what? A clean heart. A contrite heart. Now, does that mean that because David said that, God just stopped crediting the sacrifices of the, of the priest? No. But the bigger idea is pretty simple. Let's not approach the Lord's table baptism or our daily walk with hypocrisy so great question a little bit hard to answer so that everybody can understand my view on this i'm trying to do it as biblically as i can i'm trying to get away from all the clutter and i'm trying to stick to exactly what the word of god says and that is this observation of the Lord's table is a remembrance of Him and a what? And a proclamation. Now, to Steve's point, how can I remember and proclaim and yet my life 
say so much something different. Right? There's no value in that. But what I would say is be careful. And, and, and hopefully you heard me that, that if there's something that's weighing on your heart, I, the Lord would rather have you spend time with Him than go through this ceremony. But where I would draw the line in the sand is saying, we are not going to hold a guilt mechanism on the individual. Because Satan can very much be a part of that. And hold us down from feeling worthy of remembering and proclaiming. Okay, I am done. I see the hands, but this now turned into a three-part series. The more that I let you ask questions, the more I go into professor mode. Um, let me close with, with this idea. So next week, <laughs> boy, I'm making it easy on me for study level. Um, next week, we'll talk about the Lord's return and the importance of that and, and what's happening with our doctrinal statement on that shift. This week, as we observe the Lord's table, let's do so with simply the expectation of what Jesus instituted and why he made it a new covenant. In some ways, the same practice as the Passover, but with much more significant meaning. And so let's treat it with respect and with honor. But let's not lie in a sense of guilt or let tradition keep us from remembering and proclaiming. Hopefully that's clear. You feel pretty clear on, on where we went today? Alright, fantastic. Uh, let me go ahead and, and close our sermon time in prayer and we'll continue in worship. Father, this morning I thank you for this nourishing ceremony that you have given to us that we might engage just one of the ways we might engage but we look at the book of philippians and we look at the instructions by paul and it makes me think of even a more clear way to answer steve's question where paul says only walk in a manner worthy of the gospel that is an encouragement that you give to us father it's a it's a goal it's your standard for us and yet, Lord, we know that we struggle with sin and, and, and that coming to the Lord's table is a process of remembering, proclaiming what you have done, not our worthiness. And so let us hold to that, but to treat it with reverence and honor so that our lives throughout the week are held into accountability because of what we practice and what we engage in. Thank you, Father, for giving us these practices so that we might walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and that we can be all in. To you be all glory, Father. Use this teaching today. Let it inspire. Let it reach to the hearts. Let it inform us. Let it change us that we might draw close to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I would like just to spend just a couple minutes in testimony time in context to how we have seen change happen. If we're talking about walking in a manner worthy, being all in, being engaged, how have you seen someone around you in your life 
God work through them and do a change. We have a Celebrate Recovery group that's, that's doing a big promotion. And they have a what? You guys have a big event happening Tuesday, right? So it, it is uh, the 485th anniversary. Don't miss it. Be here. It's the second anniversary of Celebrate Recovery uh, here at Conquer Bible Church. And so whether it's someone that, that has seen change in, in that process or whether, whether, you know, Gary has finally seen the light and he showed up to church after all these years, apparently, um, and we've seen the massive change in Gary's heart. What are, I, I apologize for that, brother. I don't know what that was all about. Um, how have you seen the redemptive work of Christ in your life? Share. Scripture says we're to share these things with one another. And I don't have a lot of time, so you better go quick. Yes, Magda. And my heart about spending more time with him first in the morning before him. I am very busy with my work and all that, but now God is kind of working on my heart to give me the time and give me the kind of the ability to spend more time with him early in the morning. I have one question. Did you did you all hear that over there? I have one question. Do you regret it? Does that matter? Does that mean we all need to get up at four a.m. to engage with the Lord in order to be spiritual? It doesn't have to be spiritual. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Magda. Okay, somebody else. Yes, Cindy. There are times you feel like you're supposed to do something and you're a little cautious about acting on it. And it was a simple thing. I was taking my cart back at Costco and I saw a woman who had just finished loading her trunk. And the Lord laid it on my heart just go take her cart. So I grabbed her cart and I said, I'll take that for you. And I put it back and she and she said, thank you, that was very nice. And I said, you're welcome, have a blessed day. And she said, you know, the Lord knew I had a need. I can't walk, and I'm already hurting. Wow. And I would have had a hard time, but he knew. And I said, that's why I listened to the Lord. He told me to get your heart. So she says, God is good. And I said, yes, he is. So even in those little moments where you think, that's kind of silly. Someone's going to get like, why are you thinking my, you know, like it's a big deal. It was just a simple act that I did what the Lord told me to, and she acknowledged that she had a need. So, do you regret engaging with the Spirit on that? No, it made my day better. <laughs> I'll pay you later. Okay. <laughs> we have time for one more. Somebody else. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Ron, go ahead. Uh, a couple of our bocce friends. Can you explain what bocce is? We might think it's an Italian dish. <laughs> it's an Italian sport, you know. Go out there and play. Okay. Big around here. And when I went up and sat next to uh, Tia the other night, she said, you know, I want to have that peace in my heart. And it just gave me an opportunity to share. We both had shared with her. Anyway, it's just great to, you know, see, see some of the investment that we really tried to work in. 
be an example for Christ too. And then maybe when they go through something, it gives you an opportunity. It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And, and, and Ron, I mean, don't get don't get me wrong. Ron is highly competitive. He loves the bocce and he always wants to win. It's not all altruistic, but at the same time, I know what Ron's been trying to do with his involvement out in the community and all the selfless hours he puts into organizing this stuff. And so when he shared that story with me a week ago, he was so excited. Do you regret all the hours that you put into this and all the prayers? None. No regrets, my friends. That's what it means to be all in and engage. So get up, be all in, and engage real quickly by greeting one another. Go.